I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're listening to the Circe Podcast Network. I'm Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial, the podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs, by which I mean wise sayings a man may live by if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode 100, Gravity Always Wins. Today's proverb comes from Horace. I'll read it twice. You may drive out nature with a pitchfork, but she keeps coming back. Once more, you may drive out nature with a pitchfork, but she keeps coming back. To everyone who sent in suggestions for Proverbs to commit the 100th episode to, thank you. I will likely use many of those proverbs over the coming months for future episodes. But for the hundredth episode, I wanted to go back to the beginning of the show and take one more shot at the proverb that began proverbial. You may drive out nature with a pitchfork, but she keeps coming back is the proverb that episode one was devoted to. Episode one came out October 2nd, 2019, so getting close to three years now. I haven't listened to that episode since it came out. And so I'm only vaguely aware, or only sort of remember what I said in that episode. I wanted to take another shot at it, though, for a couple reasons. First of all, because it's perfectly natural for Proverbs to evolve in our contemplation of them. Proverbs are encapsulations of experience. Proverbs explain experience, and as our experiences are always changing, our understanding of a proverb is always deepening. For example, all is fair in love and war probably doesn't make a lot of sense until you've been in love. Especially been in love with someone and had a rival in that love. Or youth is wasted on the young, say. 
Youth is wasted on the young probably does not make much sense until you're not a youth anymore. And perhaps when you're very young and you waste a lot of time and you realize that you could use your youth for something greater, but don't. You hear someone say youth is wasted on the young and there's some twinkling of an understanding. But it's not until you're in your 30s or 40s or 50s that the heartsick nature of the proverb becomes clear to you. You may drive out nature with a pitchfork, but she keeps coming back. Having spent nearly three years thinking about Proverbs, I must say I believe this is the greatest proverb. Maybe I have a sentimental attachment to it since it was the first proverb ever discussed on the show. But I think that many proverbs come back to a truth which is at the heart of this saying. Most human suffering comes from the desire to get the better of your nature. Your nature imposes limits on your will. Your nature tells you that you can only eat so much, only drink so much. You can only go so fast and your will is not happy about this. And so you go to war with your nature. You are your greatest enemy. This is what many proverbs are about. You may drive out nature with a pitchfork, but she keeps coming back, is about the ultimate triumph of human nature over human will. We go to war with our natures. We feel we can win. We make a little progress. Our natures give ground, but we cannot keep up the constant effort necessary to contort our natures out of shape. We tire of contorting our natures and our natures return to their original form. The illustration I often give of this is a Nerf football, which can be contorted out of shape, but it will only stay out of shape if you apply continuous pressure to it. The moment you take your hands off a Nerf football, it pops back into its original design. The second greatest proverb, after you may drive out nature with a pitchfork, but she keeps coming back, and the proverb that almost, almost accounts for every other proverb is, one drink is just right, two is too many, three is too few. And I think that this proverb describes stages of corruption in the human will once you go to war with human nature. But I do think that the description of nature being driven out and then coming back is what most proverbial wisdom boils down to. You may drive out nature with a pitchfork, but she keeps coming back. As with most proverbs, this is an old man's saying. The person who says this has witnessed many men drive out nature with pitchforks and has paid attention for long enough to see them regret it when nature returns. There is often a significant amount of time which passes between the moment a man drives nature out and the moment that nature comes back. Wisdom 
is seeing the connection. Wisdom is about making connections between things. Aristotle says this somewhere. You have to see the connection between driving out nature and nature's return. The more violently you drive out nature, the more painful it is when she returns. When nature violently returns, those people who drove it out often deny there is a connection. They claim that it's nothing more than bad luck. Or those who have driven out nature blame the sages who are bemusedly standing off to the side and pointing out the connection and saying, well, you know why this is happening. This is happening because of what you did last month or last year or what your people did 25 years ago or what your kind has been doing for the last 50 years. And those who drive out nature refuse to see this connection. You may drive out nature with a pitchfork, but she keeps coming back is not a theory. It's not a moral imperative, like any proverb. It is simply an observation. Like, what goes up must come down. What goes up must come down is not a theory. It's not a moral imperative. It's not a command. It's simply what you say after you've paid attention for long enough. The people who drive nature out with a pitchfork typically do so for theoretical reasons or speculative reasons. They drive out nature with a pitchfork and say, this might work. This could work. This might make me happy. When you've driven out nature with a pitchfork, she is often in a somewhat ragged state when she returns. You can fight the fact that your body is male with a pitchfork, with a scalpel and a skirt and a bucket of hormones. But that male nature will keep coming back. And when you decide you don't have the energy to keep fighting, your male nature isn't going to be in the same shape it was when the fight started. As a high school teacher, as someone whose life has been spent speaking with young people, I can tell you that the beliefs of young people are fundamentally based on something other than the beliefs of old people. And this is a cause of arguments between old people and young. It's a cause of intense frustration. Young people are often persuaded by theories, whereas old people are persuaded by experience. In a debate between young people and old, it's the young people who are speaking in abstractions. And it's the old people that are describing what they have seen. Now, because experience only teaches hard lessons, the young are often tempted to dismiss the beliefs of the elderly as jaded or cynical because experience is always a rather severe teacher. Experience is not a mild instructor. 
Experience is not a gentle mentor. Experience is a drill sergeant. Experience does not take you gently by the hand. It slaps you in the face. And this is the sort of proof, or this is the source of beliefs that are typically espoused by the elderly. And the young, who have no experience, have to base their beliefs off of something. And so they base them off of theories. Once, I had a student, um, a young woman, come to me for advice. And she said that she was trying to help out a troubled young man. Not someone who went to our school. Someone she knew who attended a public school. She had been spending time with this guy. And she said that she was trying to keep him on the straight and narrow. And she said that while he was not a Christian, she believed that she could lead him to the truth. And I told her, you will not lead him to the truth. I said, he will lead you to corruption. And she said, you don't know that. I said, I've seen it many times before. And she tried for half an hour to convince me otherwise. But in the end, I told her, there's no point in trying to convince me. What will you get if you convince me? I can't do anything other for you than tell you what the destination is of the various paths that are in front of you. I wasn't telling her what was right and what was wrong. I was only observing what would happen. And of course, the young always want to insist on the realm of possibility. And possibilities are sort of cousins of theories. Theories deal in possibility. Experience is always more definite. There's a handful of proverbs that the young use to defend their theories. You might want to might want to pause this episode for a moment and ask yourself what proverbs, what standard lines of argument are the young most apt to use when arguing with the elderly. It'd be worth it to mull this over for a minute or two before going on. In my many experiences with the young, arguing with the young, debating with them, I have found that one of the most common things that the young say in defense of their theories is appearances can be deceiving. It's one of the most common ways in which the young ask the old to go along with some sort of harebrained scheme that they have. Now, I say that this is a proverb. It really isn't. Appearances can be deceiving is not a proverb. Proverbs are always stated in the absolute. They are not conditional. Uh, Today's proverb, you may drive out nature with a pitchfork, but she keeps coming back. That's a proverb. It wouldn't be a proverb if it was, you may drive out nature with a pitchfork, but she often comes back. Mm -mm. It's stated in the absolute. 
A prophet is not without honor except in his own country. There's no usually in there. A prophet's not without honor except oftentimes in his own country. Proverbs are always stated as absolutes. That's what makes them proverbs. Appearances can be deceiving is not a proverb. It's not stated in the absolute. It's a conditional sort of claim. Now, appearances can be deceiving. If you wanted to turn that into a proverb, you would have to say something like, appearances are deceiving. That would be a proverb. If that was a thing people said, it would be a proverb. The thing is, appearances are deceiving is also not a proverb. It's not a proverb in the sense that people don't say that. But it's also not a proverb in the sense that it is illogical. Appearances are deceiving is an illogical thing to say. Appearances can be deceiving, but they're usually not. It is logically impossible for appearances to usually be deceiving. If appearances were usually deceiving, we would simply refigure what the appearances actually meant. Appearances are whatever is usually true. So it's not possible for appearances to be deceiving. It's not possible to say appearances are deceiving. Not if you understand what the word usually means and if you understand what appearances are. Can appearances be deceiving? Yes. But the sort of person who says appearances can be deceiving is usually objecting to people who are using common sense. And that's, that's typically where this debate between the young and the old uh, finds its, its, center, its center point. It's over whether we can use common sense to determine what we should do here. And the elderly want to use common sense, which is based on experience. And the young want to use theories, which are not based on common sense. The person who says appearances can be deceiving is often objecting to other people making judgments based off of their experiences, not based off of appearances. Most of the time, the person who says appearances can be deceiving means, uh, though you have many more years of experience in this, I'm asking you to set all that aside and to make a judgment on something other than years of paying attention to how things work. That's typically what appearances can be deceiving means. And in that way, appearances can be deceiving is usually just a Gnostic line of argument. Like, set aside your senses. Give up on reality. Give up on your experience of the world. And use something else to make decisions. We use our experience to judge others. But we usually want other people to use theories to judge us. And we want other people to use theories to judge us because theories are always softer and more lenient than experience. Theories are cheap. Experience is incredibly expensive. Theoretically speaking, human beings are good. Practically speaking, Auschwitz. Theoretically speaking, socialism works. Practically speaking, the USSR. 
I heard the other day that cultural pundit Matt Walsh has a new documentary where he walks around and speaks with people on the street and speaks with politicians and he asks them this very basic question, what is a woman? And you can imagine how this goes. Most people are terribly afraid to give any sort of objective answer. You ask them and they say, yeah, well, you know, it's hard to say. People's perceptions are changing. And well, I mean, there's studies and, you know, they say that people are born um, and they sort of mumble this answer. And the conservative Christian who is watching the documentary laughs and says, just answer the question. Even a little child knows. But I swear to you, if you were to ask a bunch of conservative Christians, if you were to, if you were to go to Golden Corral on a Sunday afternoon and start walking around from table to table, asking people, what makes people fat? They're going to give you that same stammering answer. Well, 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 you know, it's hard to say. We've learned a lot in the last 50 years. And there are these studies, and they say you can be born with. Just answer the question. Even a little child knows. Children don't live by theories. That's why, that's why it's a child who solves the riddle of the emperor's new clothes. Children don't live by theories. There are other reasons why it's a child that answers the question. No sense of shame. But I think one of the reasons why children can be depended on for certain things is that they don't live by theories. And I think the fact that children don't live by theories is significant when contemplating Christ's exoneration of children's faith. That their faith is a non-theoretical faith. I noticed this, I saw this the other day. I saw two children fighting. I saw two children fighting over a toy. And one of those children was saying, I want it. And the other was saying, I got it first. There was absolutely nothing theoretical about this dispute. They were not talking about ownership. They were not talking about property rights. I got it first is about as practical as it gets. Children don't live by theories. At some point, though, brains are reset and we enter into the madness of theory. The only real way it is possible to get the better of nature is by surrendering what is natural to the supernatural. Everyone believes in the supernatural. In their bones, they believe in it. And the fact that we all know there is something beyond nature is what inspires people to make war on nature. We go to war with nature because we know that nature is not all there is. And there are people who believe that if they can just defeat nature, they can get at what's behind it. And whatever is behind nature is necessarily supernatural. 
It is for this reason that modern men confuse the unnatural for the sacred or for the supernatural. The supernatural and the unnatural are easy to confuse. That's a separate episode, though. We drive out nature with a pitchfork, and we expect to see God. But in the end, all we see is the reflection of the monsters that we have made of ourselves. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.